Great. Well, a very warm welcome. This is Elite Business Live. And sort of going through our first morning's programming, uh, we've heard from Paul Scully, the Minister for Small Business and the Minister for London. He talked about the launch of the Startup Loans Company. and very pleased to say that Richard Behrman from the British Business Bank is going to be here in this studio uh, during our event spearheading that um, startup loans program slightly bizarrely in that year that it was launched. There were four people in the room at number 10 Downing Street when it was named startup loans. I was very lucky to be one of them making the coffee. Um, Lord Young of Grafham, another, uh, the godfather of startups. And the third guest uh, was our next speaker. And um, Although Michael Heyman can be seen from time to time treading the boards as the best in the business, he's actually the supporter behind the scenes of more campaigners and entrepreneurs than I could ever list. Um, Michael, I know you're going to give a really warm business, uh, Elite Business Live welcome to. What is Michael? Michael is a broadcaster. He's an entrepreneur. He set up a formidable firm, Seven Hills, best campaigning firm in the world for my money. Um, he now chairs that firm. But what else? He co-wrote a book called Mission, How the Best in Business Breakthrough with his co-author Nick Giles. Very nice to see Nick in the studio today. Um, and he also chairs the Small Business Charter, so that bridge between business schools and great businesses. But what I love about Michael is... He wants to know what gets entrepreneurs and leaders out of bed in the morning. What puts that spring in their steps? So I won't steal his thunder, but I will tell you that I'm looking forward to this presentation because behind it is a man who's an exceptional human being. Please welcome Michael Heyman. Thank you very much, Ollie. Cheers. Thank you very see you much. in person. Yeah, nice to see you too. <laughs> Wonderful. We meet at last, Mr. Bond. We do indeed, Blofeld. Nice yeah. to see you. <laughs> I'll just go and stroke my cat. I'm just making a meal of it because we haven't been in the same physical space for a bit too long. Well, that's lockdown for you, but it's great to all to be back together again, isn't oh, it? Sort it's, of like, it's like the good old days. It's so good, yeah. but we, we are absolutely all is. Michael, over to you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Ollie. Cheers. Good morning, everybody. Great to be here at Elite Business Live and um, great to sort of... Um, tell you a little bit about, um, uh, well, not only the book that Ollie referred to, Mission, um, which uh, is available at all good bookstores, um, but also um, to really look at the issue about growth and commercial growth in the future um, and why um, purpose is power in an age of activism. I think it's really interesting that we are um, gathered here just a few houses away from the Ukrainian embassy. And I think that um, it's right that one of the big stories this morning is about the activism of business um, in terms of its ability to make its voice heard in this terrible conflict. And I'll tell you why that matters as I go on. Um, but really what I want to sort of talk about today is that we are all activists. Business is a tool. Business is about a relationship with consumers and customers that want to see the very best in us. Um, and you know, I would start by um, telling you that, um, in the words of Serena Williams, luck has nothing to do with it. You can either do this by design, or you can leave others to do it by default for you. Um, something that I'm involved with that I wanted to give you as a, as a kind of a, a, a free first idea is um, I've just taken over as, as chair of the Small Business Charter. Um, and what that means is that we're delivering something called Help to Grow Management, which is about 
unlocking your business potential. Um, it's about um, a really great deal for entrepreneurs where it's a 90% funded growth program at business schools um, where you can think about your business, grow your business, think about the plans for the future. 50 hours of training um, with business schools, 54 of them across the country, one-on-one um, -on -one mentoring, um, and an opportunity to really think about that future. Now, I would just sort of like, um, this is my commercial break in terms of what I think the proposition is. £750 is what the entrepreneur puts in. £7,500 is what the government puts in after you. Um, that's about 50 hours with some of the best minds um, in business in terms of the thinking, in terms of both the training and the mentoring that goes with that. And then a peer group that you come out of that, that course with. Um, it's there to think about this future, there to think about this uncertain future in terms of how you build your business and how you build um, your business in an age of change. Um, delivered by the Small Business Charter, 54 business schools um, around the country. Now, why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters, is because change is ever present for all of us. This is how we used to greet popes. Um, we'd go to St. Mark's Square, the white smoke would go up, um, and that would be the way you did. And actually, you'd pass on the stories to, um, to people around you, and you were there. And of course, the reality of how we greet them today is a much more interconnected world, where we're all part of that story. And that interconnectivity creates both opportunities, but also challenges that businesses need to be a part of. I think the other part of this is that things have changed. You know, if you look at when we wrote Mission, we wrote that book in 2015, and I think it's worth saying is that then it was definitely Mark's world. You know, this was a world where move fast and break things was the mantra um, that got entrepreneurs excited, the idea about how we will shape things, how we will deliver things, how we will do things. Now, I think it's Greta's world, our house is on fire. And what does that mean? Well, I think what it meant then was that this was about what business was going to do to the world, whether you liked it or not, whether you were ready or not. Now it's very much about what business can do for the world. And I think that kind of change of the word from two to four explains a lot in terms of the expectations that we now have on business and the expectations that we have that business can actually do things that perhaps previous generations couldn't have done in terms of their impact on the community, in terms of their impact of being forces for good in the world. Mainly because, as I'm sure we're going to hear in the next panel, consumers are not prisoners. You know, consumers have choices. This was a, st a statistic drawn from 2017. So imagine what, <clears throat> what it's telling you now, that consumers wouldn't care less if 74% of the world's brands drop dead tomorrow. That's not a good look, right, in terms of the relationship with consumers. If you want to delight your customers, you probably don't want to take your lessons from that 74%. Um, on top of that, is we just don't have enough attention to go around. You know, you'll, you'll think about this. I mean, what are the ads that you can remember from reading the papers this morning? What are the things that actually stick with you? Um, there is a real attention deficit disorder in terms of people's ability to stay interested in, in what your business does. Um, so companies need to connect, and they need to con connect with their customers in a way that perhaps they've never done before. And I think that it's not just tech that's driving it. I think social change is driving it. The concerns over the planet, the concerns over so many different things where your relationships with your shareholders, with your stakeholders, with everybody around you starts to change in terms of the expectation that business will be the good citizen of the future. So here's the thought. Um, if I was to, I mean, you know, um, I, I noticed um, Ollie's homage um, to, um, to sort of um, sci-fi of the past, but what about businesses of, of the past? You know, 2006, 
Um, anybody remember Blockbuster in the room? I do. Oh, what a difference, Blockbuster Video. I mean, I can remember what a powerhouse that business was. Riding high, valued at $500 million. Um, it had um, just turned down an offer to buy this really weird little mail order company called something like Netflix. Yeah, that was the one. And it turned it down, the opportunity um, to actually buy it um, at the time. Um, there's another global giant at the time, Yahoo. Um, and it offers to buy this kind of sort of slightly like this online dating company, I think it's called Facebook, and it offers to buy it for a billion dollars. Um, they turn it down and they raise 27 million in capital. Um, at this point, Airbnb is still two years away. Uber is still three years away. This is a world of complete change. Well, let's take it forward. Let's take another homage back to the future. Well, let's go forward 10 years, right? Um, by 2016, Blockbuster has been bankrupt since 2010, one of the world's best-known brands, one of the world's, if you like, those early future shapers. Um, Yahoo's core business is worth what it offered to buy Facebook for. Um, Facebook continues unstoppable, uh, valued, at, um, valued at 32 billion. Um, Airbnb is up, up and away, valued at 25 billion. Um, and of course, Uber is yet to start really encountering its wave of problems um, and, is, and is valued at some 60 billion. Come to today, what do you have? The tragedy of Blockbuster is that there's one shop, one solitary shop in Oregon, which sort of sounds as, if you like, the museum piece to that once-defining brand, right, where people can go, and that's even a franchise store. Um, Yahoo acquired, um, Facebook becomes Meta, and the telephone digits for all of these firms um, are as they are, despite their troubles, is that they have defined things in a way that I think previous generations of companies could never do. And it gets me thinking, these are my dogs, by the way, this is Millie and Mabel, um, but uh, an entrepreneur told us um, in, um, in the book, he said, well, the reason why this matters is because we're living in an environment of dog years, right? So if you think about, anybody, any pet owners in the audience? One or two, there we go, right? So what's, what's every human year worth to a dog? Seven. There you go. So this world is like every new year is worth seven old ones in terms of the style of change and actually what that means. Now, it means that business has become more powerful in our age, in our lifetime. Think about this when you think about Microsoft and you think about um, the range of companies pulling out of Russia. When 69 of the world's top 100 economies are corporations, Business as a body of influence has more, has more power than it's ever had before. In the same way um, that these are younger companies, the average age of an S&P 500 company is now under 20 years old. That's down from 60 year, years old in the 1950s. The profile of success um, is changing. And of its current members, it's estimated that 80% of the value of those firms is an intangible. You know, you can't put a slide rule over it. You can't actually get an accountant to say what it's worth because it's based on things like how we feel, reputation. It's based on relationships. It's based on the things that people want to think about when they think about that business. 40% um, of US GDP is now dependent on companies that didn't exist 15 years ago. If you think about that, as a chop and change. This is not just about the titans of McDonald's and Microsoft and others. This is about the businesses that are getting going today and changing things. Which means, and I think you can draw the conclusion, is that some of the most powerful companies um, 
of our lifetime are, are yet to be created. I mean, we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of the role of entrepreneurs to be defining and changing. What's interesting is that how many of these new shaping companies are going to get involved with some of the big challenges of our time, the 100-year life, when you look at solving the, the planet's problems, when you see, see the variety of different things that are on the world's to-do list. Will business offer the tools and the ideas that will shape that change? Which me leads me to this point is that we're all activists now. You know, this is the age of the activist business. Um, this was a wired front cover, which I think really brought it to life, that purpose is the point, profit is the result, it's the natural order of things, is that, you know, purposeful companies, the data shows you, are more successful now. They call them, in the States, they call them the firms of endearment, right? You know, these are the firms where they start with that Salesforce mentality of trying to do um, good things and do it well. And I think what's, what's crucial is that if if you look at where capital is going, if you look at where investment money is going, you look at the rise of ESG, environment, societal and governance, is that that's being driven by people like Larry Fink at BlackRock, who, who writes his annual letter in terms of the expectation um, of, of their investors, of their companies to do good. You look at um, uh, organisations like Legal and General um, here um, in the UK, um, where you look at Nigel Wilson in terms of their expectation, company I work with, the Business Growth Fund, you look at their, their campaign around good growth, and you see that actually capital is following the idea that businesses will be that force for change, a force for good. Somebody I interviewed was, was John Mackey from, from Whole Foods, um, and he talked about liberating the heroic spirit of business, is that there is something heroic about giving it a go, about giving it a job, becoming not an employee, but an employer, actually building a business. And there's something heroic, I think, about the moment right now in a very uncertain and unstable world as entrepreneurs being forces for change um, in the community. But there's also very good business sense um, on this. If you look at what Bain & Co's work tells you, is that what they show is that inspired teams are more productive teams. You know, one inspired employee equates to roughly two and a quarter satisfied employees. And if you look at that dotted line, as being the 100%, what you see is that inspired um, employees operate at 225% on productivity. There is, if people believe in a firm, they believe in its causes, they do better, they do work more. Um, and the reason why that is, is because satisfied employees have got safety, you know, it's a bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, they can do their jobs efficiently um, and they might be valued and, and rewarded. Um, engaged employees tend to be part of an extraordinary team. They have autonomy to do what they want to do. They learn and grow, um, and they make a difference and an impact. But inspired employees, they get meaning and inspiration from the places that they work, the company's passions, and they're inspired by the company's values and the leadership of that company in terms of what it is that it's trying to do. And we picked up on this um, in our book, Mission, um, and what we, what we felt was that there was a effectively an, an equation, right, which is that a mission is more than just an ability to write a statement. A mission has to speak to the heart and soul of what you're about as an organisation. It tends to be something that entrepreneurs can be very, very good at because often their name is above the door. Often they are the people that have come up with a guiding idea that they want to take to market. But of course, unless you can activate it, unless you can campaign with it, it's inert, right? You know, it doesn't actually go anywhere. And what you get if you put mission alongside campaigning, as in actually getting out there, talking about it, making it valuable to your, to your teams, to your consumers and others, is you get a very valuable thing in business, momentum. 
they call it the big mo, don't they, in terms of the political world. But momentum really does matter in terms of the minds of the market, in terms of are you winning? Are you making that change? So in the book, we, we looked at mission-driven companies and we identified three categories that we thought were interesting. And we called them the carers, the sharers, the darers, right? So the carers were the nurturers, the sharers were those that were, were using platforms to actually share, um, share resources. Um, and the darers were going to go boldly um, to places that we had not been before. And as we looked into that after we wrote the book, we thought, well, actually, there are subcategories within that. So disruptors, they change the game. Tribalists, they build movements. Explorers, they break new grounds. Believers, they champion a cause. Connectors, unite and enable. Advocates make the case. Nurturers help and protect. And influencers set the trend. And if you look at this from the business's point of view, you understand actually this is what goes on underneath a logo, right? This is what goes on when you look at why these companies are the companies that they are. Because if you take out the belief out of Beyond Meat, or if you take out the disruption out of Tesla, or you take out the advocacy over Unilever, interesting point for their shareholders at the moment, is that you take away their driving ambition, their driving purpose, their driving reason for being. What we also felt was that if you looked at a mission character, if you look at what unites great companies, both large and small, there is something about drive, the refusal to give in. There is something about self-improvement, the ability to never stop learning. Something about getting that message across, going against the grain in terms of disruption, making your case, building connections, and positivity and optimism in terms of that ability to never say die in terms of the business that you're building. So just to finish up, a few lessons just to sort of um, think about. Um, I think that business, all business is now social business, right? You know, that we've all got um, a role in our lives to be better citizens, to be better leaders, um, and to build better businesses. And part of that is about, you know, thinking about now as the fiercely urgent moment, right? You know, this is the Malala quote, a wonderful, a wonderful Af uh, Afghanistan, uh, Afghan um, activist um, who paid a very, a very dear price for this sort, of, this sort of view. But the idea is that business are the dream creators, you know, that actually we can show that best quality in terms of helping to create tomorrow's reality. It starts by realizing that profit isn't a purpose in of itself. It's a result, right? And I think that in this debate about trying to segment them as if they're, they're not related, actually, you need businesses to be successful, but they need to do that by activating that idea of a core purpose. Um, and that means that we have to have things that are of real value to others, which gets me thinking that, you know, the, there's a great marketeer called Seth Godin. He said that tastes like chicken isn't a compliment. Well, I think there's a good truth in that. This is not just about writing some bland statement that sort of offends no one. This is about capturing and harnessing the things that you truly believe and the things that you truly want to work with. Strong brands are defined by their ownership of thoughts and ideas, and the very strongest by one word. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate thing. You know, if you think about what to what businesses stand for? What do they own? Think about Nike and winning. Think about those sorts of ideas in terms of how powerful they've been for those businesses in the past. Steve Jobs, bless him. He said it's better to be a pirate than to join the Navy. You know, this is a time now for new thinking, right, in terms of the businesses of the future and how we will run with them. And I'll finish this on the words of a great entrepreneur, maybe somebody for next year's elite business, but Ajaz Ahmed, he wrote a great book called Limitless. And he said that what great businesses do is that they have 
and excitement for the future that they can see. Whatever they're doing, whatever their sector, whatever their products that they're selling. But crucially, they have an invitation for others to join that adventure. And I think that adventure is what unites the sense of entrepreneurship, probably in this room um, and, and further afield. Um, and it's a message about why purpose really is power. Thank you very much. Bab. Thank you, Michael. First class, thank you. Really got us thinking this morning. And um, so many things I want to quiz you about. And I loved those examples from over the last 10, 20 years. Mm. Today, who comes to your mind when I ask you, particularly if I might say, particularly in, in, in the United Kingdom, as your campaigning heroes, who do you like to throw a spotlight onto? Just going, have a look. They could be household names, but I like it if they're not as well. Oh, I mean, every day you say, and it depends which way you're looking at it. You know, I think that being a local employer can be an amazing thing. You know, I've been talking to some of the guests this morning from, from businesses that are just doing things in where they're, they're building entrepreneurial businesses um, in environments where it's tough to do, um, where actually they're becoming exponentially um, more important to their local economies. You're going to hear from some of those. I think more... More sort of more, more generally, there are a range of tech companies. You know, we work with Strava in, in, in the, from, from the US, which, which means the, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this sort of Scandinavian for Strive, the idea mm -hmm. of building communities of world class athletes. You look at, you know, I look at people like, you know, businesses that I feel quite passionate about because we work with them, people like M Squared up in Strath, mm -hmm. Strathclyde, reinventing quantum computing. You look laser beams. Laser beams. But, but the idea about what that can do, you know, you look at robotics companies up in Blythe in the northeast of England, like Tharsis, you look at, you know, you, you, look, you know, you look at Gusto, you look, I mean, we are a world-class nation for purposeful companies. Yeah. Of that, I have no doubt. And the Timo, question, Timo, Timo, the founder Bob, yeah. of Gusto, is well worth studying. He's been on this stage. He was, he was about last year, by. I think. Yeah. Well, his business is now worth $1.5 billion valuation. So this is the boxes um, of food, you know, send you the ingredients, make your dinner, and so on and so forth. But look at their role as a regional employ employer now, in terms of they've become a major distributor of foods. They've opened factories, they've created jobs. And I also think that they have this, this core focus on nutrition. Yeah. And, to, and in the same way, that somebody like Paul Lindley from Ella's Kitchen had it, you know, back in the day in yeah. terms of thinking, well, actually, business can drive out sugar. So, so we've, got, we've got a plethora of good examples. Yeah, and, and so what's your advice to someone watching or in the room around when to shout you're one of the world's great promoters as well mm. as campaigners? What about the guest that says, Michael, I'm very happy to do stuff in my local area, but I don't want to tell anyone else about it? Well, I think that's fine. I mean, you know, p purpose is not promotion, right? You know, I mean, I, th I think purpose speaks to a core, a core sense of self and a core sense of identity, right, in terms of doing the right thing. Um, and sometimes it's right to do the right things without talking about it and expecting nothing, uh, nothing as a result. I think, though, what's interesting is that many companies quickly become the example that others want to follow. And that's when I think it is worth talking about because you have a message worth, worth, worth sharing um, and you have a lesson worth learning. And I think that's when you want to talk about it. And, and I've got so much that I want to get through. So we're going to go sort of slightly rapid fire. What about, what about picking, I don't want to sound trite about it, what about picking one's causes? You know, to what extent must it correlate with your core business? Or can I pick something right off to the side because it's very dear to my own heart? H how do we go about that? So you're searching for authentic truths. 
not just causes to hang a flag on. So I think that with a lot of businesses, it comes naturally because you can work out um, what it is you want to do. I mean, I interviewed one of the founders of, of Dash Water yesterday. Mm. You know, he grew up on a farm. He hated food waste. He's created a brilliant business where they're taking wonky fruit and instead of it going in the bin, it's creating brilliant sort of water cocktails that you can find in Whole Foods and in, you know, many other sort of um, Planet Organic, many other sort of stores. And that, that's obviously where, where Purpose jumps off at you. And Very you, and you've personal got it. story. Um, I think that where you look at things like um, some of the bigger social movements, when you look at some of the bigger social changes, then that is about a question to yourself about what is the right thing to do here? Yeah. What is the right thing to actually do to try and help affect change? And I think those, I think, I think causes and purpose are closely related, but they need to be examined in slightly different ways in terms of, in terms of how you operate. So, so, so going back to your chicken point, which I thought was very interesting, um, isn't one of these booby traps um, that... Um, that it's all just very vanilla, that we land on a cause that nobody could possibly disagree with. Nothing wrong with a campaign for kindness, but I don't see anyone campaigning for unkindness. Yeah. So uh, to what extent must we pick a side, dare I say, divide? What, what have you learnt? Well, I think you say you're not seeing anyone campaign for unkindness, but I think there's a good, a good saying from the past, but by their, you know, by their deed shall you know them. I mean, I think you know, unkindness may not be an intention, but it might well be a result. You know, if, if you are you know, sort of contributing to the world's health problems or you are creating bad outcomes. So I think that you know, what, what, what I've learned is that, you know, that um, the reason why I put that slide up there is that, you know, that there's that saying about the road to hell is paved with good intention. Mm. Right? You know, and actually good intention is not just writing something which sounds good on the page. You know, what, what a mission really is, it's a driving core purpose, a statement of intent about what it is you want to do. And that's why it cannot afford to taste like chicken in that respect, mm. because it should drive every aspect of a business and, its, and all of its sort of, um, you know, ideas, all of its operations, and ultimately to drive its delivery of its future potential. And that's why, you know, I think there is a danger of, of greenwashing. There is a danger of people just saying things that they don't really believe in and they, they feel that they're making up the numbers on. I think, you know, what, what mission-driven businesses do is they get hold of something that they really believe in and it drives everything. Right, so, so, so on that, when to go alone on something versus joining forces with other like-minded businesses that share that cause, particularly if you've got an example that comes to mind of where a whole group of companies do more than they could have done alone? Well, I think, I think there is a more cooperative environment, um, certainly in theory. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at fintech, for example, fintech started as a sector which was going to basically destroy the banks. Now they talk about this idea of co-opetition, right? Yes. You know, so much more, much more cooperative in, in the way that it approaches. And actually, you know, banks are now the biggest investors in, in fintech mm -hmm. by, by some margin. So, good, but they so were very much the barbarians they of the were, game, They right? were very much, you know, when you look at like the early days of Monzo and you look at the early days of, you know, some, some, of, um, some of the other sort of key, key players was that they were seen as the replacement, the next chapter yeah. in, in the kind of, the, uh, in, in the story. You meant Starling Bank there. Uh, oh, and Star, yeah, no, well, indeed. <laughs> well, Star, Starling, you know, met, met, sorry, I've got the wrong, the wrong challenge. But, so, but, but something, <laughs> but so, it's a serious point there because something changed and I just wonder how that then plays out because you can't have this cartoon world where the big fight the small. Yes, I mean, look, the, the, the reality is, is that, 
you know, business is a competitive process. You know, you have to build products and services that people want to buy, and there will be a series of things to consider as part of that. You know, price will be one of those, you know, the efficiency of that product and its service and its quality. But I think the values are increasingly important. And I think that, you know, we increasingly don't like to see the relationships of, of businesses as being just bashing each other and being, you know, if you look at some of the old 80s advertising, it was quite often about, you know, compare and contrast mm -hmm. in terms of we're better than this company on the, and think about those US ads that you'll see that all the time, you know, Shark versus Dyson or those kind of yeah. things. I think, I think increasingly we want to know what you stand for. And I think that, um, you know, consumers have every right to know about, about those values. And I think, you know, my, my sense is, is that there is a new generation of younger businesses that see cooperation as a good thing. They don't see it as something which you lose out by. And I think, you know, whereas, you know, when I started in, in, in my working environment, I think giving things away was, was seen as losing competitive advantage. But I remember David Ogilvy, he said this, you know, he said, give, give a person a tennis racket and it doesn't make them a world champion. You know, uh -huh. I mean, there are things that you can maintain your value by being cooperative as well. So, so what about, um, I'm just imagining a guest now thinking, okay, but when it comes to profit, we know exactly what to measure. How much of a red herring is measurement on the wider forms of impact that you've been talking about today? Well, okay, so I was talking to um, a really good entrepreneur, B Corp entrepreneur, that, that, that has been getting really elevated by this because what, what, what he was saying to me was that, well, look, you know, you look at ESG, which is all about about measurement now, and, and it's ripping the heart and soul out of the whole endeavor of trying to do good because people are trying to box it up and they're trying to measure it. And, and I, think there, I think there is some truth in it, but if you go back to the biggest sort of critique of this, which is Milton Friedman from the Chicago School of, of Economics, he said that the business of business is business, right? right? So, so what business does is it's an efficient way of making profits, and what you do with that profit is the only thing you can really measure. I think, it, I think there has to be the ability to come back, and there's a lot of time going into this, to show actually the productivity benefits and the progress benefits that more purposeful companies get as a result. But it's still not, it's still not completely... Yeah, it, especially to unlock the buy-in of your whole team, why yeah. are we doing this? Yeah. You know, wh wh well, that's an easy one to measure. That's the easy, and that Bain & Co research shows you that inspirational environments are by their nature much more productive yeah. environments. Because you're very, I've just got just one final quick question. We're going to bring in some more guests for a bigger conversation, but I've noticed Seven Hills, you're very good at bringing in outsiders to get people think, anything you've learned about how you do that, because I've learned from it, but how have you done that? Because you're always pinging their brains from very different angles. Okay, so my final thought on this was that there's a great guy called Mark McCormack, right? And, and Mark, agent, sports agent. Sports agent, and he was the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire. Remember, show me the money, oh. right? And, and he said that, um, he said, all things being equal, people will buy from a friend. And he said, all things being unequal, people will still buy from a friend. Mm. I think friendship is a much underrated ideal in business, weirdly, given that we're all human beings. And I think that as a business style, we've always tried to be friendly, involving and opening. And I think that creates great collaborations and cooperative environments to, to prosper in. And it is that sort of sense of unlikely alliance that I'd be very keen to sort of keep drawing on. So maybe there are guests tuning in or here today who say, I wonder what would happen if you just came to meet my team. An amazing gentleman from Finland earlier in the manufacturing space. And already he got my brain. Mark talking as well with him just about different things. And that's why business should always be an inventive idea. If yeah. you think you've got it cracked, 
then you're probably time to give up. You know, the whole point about, about business is an adventure and learning things from different people really right. matters. So that is absolutely a mantra, I think, for this and more gatherings. Michael, you're not getting off the hook. Will you stay with us? Absolutely. What do you want me? Take hot seat number two. Right. A round of applause for Michael Hayes. Thank you very much. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs>